So to remember those is to honor those. than to lay one's life down for his friends. Remember and honor our fallen with overwhelming aloha, for they are our heroes. Take time to understand what each of these plaques represent. Their lives, their families, the stories, the campaigns they fought in, Iwo Jima, Tinian, Guam, Midway, Afghanistan, Iraq. There are so many different campaigns, so many battles have been fought in defense of us. Praise the Lord. So I uh, put this little uniform up here. I had a couple uh, My grandfather on my mom's side served in the Navy. He actually went in right after Pearl Harbor. And I look at this thing, and I look how small this is. At 18 years old, he probably went into the military. I couldn't even fit into this. Can you imagine that? About half of me. And here's these young young boys going in to serve our country, and some of them never made it back. We were blessed to have both my grandparents survive. My grandfather on my dad's side was in the Army Air Guard. And I remember how when they came back, they never really talked about the things they went through. They never really told people the sacrifices they had to meet, meet, make and uh, what they actually saw firsthand. I remember at the funeral time, we actually looked back and tried to remember some of the things that they did. And as, young, as a young grandson, he started opening up to me. It'd be when we were staying at their house, late at night as you're getting ready for your bedtime, Grandpa would come tell you a bedtime story, okay? I was probably a teenager at this time, but they still would tell you bedtime stories. And as a young teenager, I still, or even as a young middle schooler, it was exciting to hear these stories, it was kind of inspirational to see what they went through and the sacrifices that they made. And I remember my one grandfather saying that it was basically people were, so many people were dying that he kept getting promoted because he was surviving. And it's kind of sad that you have to be promoted because other people are dying that were your friends and the sacrifice that they made for us. And then my grandfather, who was in the Navy, that wore this uniform, when he passed away just a few years ago, I remember when they were looking at through all his stuff, I wanted the one that he first enlisted in, the uniform that, just picturing this 18-year-old child, your own son, and what they went through to be in the military. And he tells me about how one of his ships got hit. You saw that one ship tipping over in that video, and how one of his ships got hit, and how he was launched into the ocean. 
off this. He could see the side walls of this metal ship. Have you ever been on a boat, like one of those uh, Navy vessels, and how strong it is? And when that fuel from the planes hit that ship or the missiles or the bombs that hit it, how it would just melt that steel. And he said that he was laying there in the ocean and he could basically see a scale of his whole body hanging off of him. It was almost like how a snake sheds its skin, that it had burned his first layer of skin off. And he survived really so we could have freedom. The original time that we started celebrating Memorial Day was really from the Civil War. And then after World War I, we made it more nationally as we continue to have to go through that tragedy. But today, I'm very thankful for those who have served for us so we can be here today. That I can enjoy my everyday life because of those who did that sacrifice. Amen? And I see Juan up there in the sound booth. He's a guy that's been working with me. I want to give him a little shout out because of uh, all the help he did to help me get ready for Luke's graduation. He worked tireless. But he's getting ready to enlist in the military. It's pretty amazing. And it's not always easy for, for your family, but it's actually a great sacrifice. And I, I hold them in high respect for everything that they do. Well, today, I thought it was really beneficial that I want to tell a story, a military Sometimes story. Sometimes in life, we face a lot of crazy, crazy things. And so I entitled today's message is Facing Your Giants. It's actually a message that's kind of a message, a hybrid message of something I preached in 2010. And it was really, the focus was, sometimes we have to face things that we don't want to. Can you imagine them enlisting in the military and having to face scary odds? You're, you're separated from your family. You're in this place where you have no protection anymore. We can get so comfortable sitting in our homes, living in our cities, because of all the things that other people have done to protect us, including our police officers and our firefighters and uh, 911 services and, and all the medical help that we can receive. And here they are in another country, in a foreign land, with none of those protections. So really, when you think about this, the one thing that we do need is God on our side. No matter where we go, without God, we have nothing. Even in Madison, where we feel protected, you don't realize that God's working on our behalf right now. In everyday life, we sit there and are very comfortable in how we're living. That's because God is protecting us. God has given people that will be willing to sacrifice their life, just as Jesus sacrificed his life so that we can live in freedom and have the promise of eternal life. Amen? So I'd like to turn in the Scriptures in 1 Samuel, and I want to kind of give you guys a little prelude to this. This is the story of David, and he was one of the younger brothers of three guys who were in the military. His brothers were always on the battlefield fighting the Philistines. His father was always nervous and worried about it. He would send, he would actually want to go himself, want to send food and supplies and different things, you know, just like a care package to his sons that were in the military. And here he's sending David, who was just a shepherd. They, he was too young to really go and fight, so he was actually sitting back taking care of the farm back home, or the sheep back home. And while he was there, even though his brothers were facing great odds, David had his challenges too. 
David had to face fierce lions and fierce bears and had to stand up there because he was the only one there. If he hadn't, if his brothers hadn't been to war, maybe David wouldn't have to face those situations. And here he is coming up to the battlefront, and he's seeing the situation where in the hills of Elah, there was actually this big battle going on. There's two major armies face to face. And if you actually study it, there's somewhere like 30,000 horsemen on the Philistine side, over 10 or 12,000 chariots. I mean, you could just imagine that you could see people, just like almost like a sea of people, waiting on both sides ready to battle. And he comes up there and he sees this guy challenging the Israel army. Israel is another metaphor, too. It was a small group of people. They could have easily been taken. The Philistines were a very powerful force at this time. They had all the military weapons. If you go look in the back of the history, some of the Israelites didn't even have swords. They were using a lot less quality weapons than the Philistines. They even said they could not find a blacksmith in all of Israel in chapters leading up to this. So only people that probably had swords were probably Saul and maybe his son, some of the generals in the army. Here they are face to face. Let's go into the scriptures here. And it says, The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the bear and the lion will rescue me from the Philistines. So Saul finally consented. So here it is. Saul is the king of Israel. He's this big guy. I mean, Saul looked like a king. He was massive. Some say that he was tall. He's one of the bigger, he was probably the best fighter in the Israel army at this time. And here he is that uh, the Philistines were sending their best fighter up there to sit there and taunt the Israel nation, saying, send me five or six of your best fighters and I'll take them on. And if you beat me, we'll be your slaves. We'll be your servants. And that was Goliath. What's amazing is Goliath was considered to be up to nine feet tall. Can you imagine that? I've seen Shaq in a crowd before, Shaquille O'Neal. And that guy's one of the biggest guys I've ever seen in my life. And he's, what, seven foot? Seven foot two? Somewhere around there? Here's Goliath, nine feet tall. You can picture it. Most of your guys' roofs or uh, ceilings in your house is eight foot four. So he couldn't even walk on any floor of your house. That's how tall it would be. And this ceiling right here is about 17 feet. So he'd be halfway up this height right now. And here he is, sit there mocking the Israel nation, saying, send me anybody to fight me. If you defeat me, we'll be your servants. Or if I beat you, you'll be our servants. And he's taunting the children of Israel, God's people. And David walks in here and says, wait a second. You guys can't do that. Our God's greater than that. He rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear. So here's David sitting as a shepherd boy singing to his sheep with his little staff. We're not talking guns here. And he had this I brought little this in. Slingshot. I got this for the children's church one time. And this is an official slingshot that they would have used back in Israel time. This style. Obviously, I used a little bit of different rope for it. And they studied this to see how you could do it. You actually put this, your one finger on this one here, and you hang onto this. And when you swing it, you release the one string, and it releases the rock. And I've tried to use this before, and it's very inaccurate. It's very difficult. And so there's actually a group of people on an island that still do, what do you want to call it, marksmen with this slingshot. 
And they were testing it to see how when David was using a slingshot to kill a bear, to kill a lion, how could he have got enough speed to be able to break the skull of this bear or lion? And when they would sling the slingshot, they could get it going at the speed enough that it would actually crush the skull or the, the, hit them in the forehead, but they couldn't get it accurate enough to do it. And I'm saying that because we're going to show you what happens here in a moment. But Saul finally consented, all right, go ahead, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, the bronze helmet, a coat of mail, and David put it on. So here's Saul saying, okay, if you're going to fight Goliath, you need to have all the best, and the king has the best equipment here. And David put it on, he strapped a sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like. For he had never worn such a thing before. And here you can just picture this young boy trying to put on Saul's armor, this guy who was probably 6'2", and David's a short man. Some say he's about 5'9", 5'8". He's trying to wear this armor. And he can't even move around. He goes, how am I going to fight Saul this way? He goes, I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David picked them off, took them off, and he picked up five smooth stones from the stream and put them in his shepherd bag. Then armed only with a shepherd's staff and a sling, he started to cross the valley to fight the Philistine. So you can picture this. David, this young boy, cocky, bold, saying, listen, I fought off bears and lions. I can go take care of this guy. And here for 40 days, the Israel nation had been sitting there at bay, not having enough guts to go over there and face this giant. Goliath walked out towards David and his shield-bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give you the flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. Can you imagine how scary this guy would be? David replied to the Philistines, You come to me with the sword, the spear, and the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the heavenly armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. Well, that's pretty violent, isn't it? And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. So here's David this guy saying, man, I'm going to go and take you on. I'm going to take you on and I'm not going to be afraid of it. Because what God is with me when I was a boy watching these sheep, God's going to be with you, me when I go and face this giant. How many times do we face giants in our life and we want to run the other direction? Here's David running towards his giant. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people. But not with the sword and the spear. This, bat, this is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Amen? I like another translation that says the battle belongs to the Lord. We keep trying to fight the battles for ourselves. And God says these battles belong to the Lord. All David had was a shepherd's staff and five smooth stones and this sling. And you guys know the story. He went up there. We used to sing it in children's church. There was a little boy named David. 
with five little stones he took. One little stone went in the sling, and the sling went round and round, and round and round and round and round. And up in the air, the stone hit him, and the giant came tumbling down. I still remember that. Thank you. I wasn't going to sing it and embarrass myself and my family. But what's neat is that it only took David to have the faith to trust in God for him to overcome this giant in his life. This giant had impossible odds. Can you picture this? It's not like David's saying, okay, he's nine foot tall. He's got the best sword, Damascus blade sword. What's his IQ? What's his skill set? David wasn't worried about that. He's just seeing somebody that's coming in his way, a giant that was facing him. And he's like, I'm going to take this giant on face to face because I have God on my side. I'm not alone in this battle. You guys are not alone in this battle of life. Everything that you face, you have God on your side. Everything that comes against you, you have God to fight that battle for you. Because the battle belongs to the Lord. Your Goliath, your, your giant doesn't carry a spear or a sword or shield. Your giant carries the threat of unemployment, abandonment, abuse, depression, self-worth. All these things that try to attack us in life, that's our giants. That's our battle. Your giant doesn't parade up and down the hills of Elah. Your giant prances and struts around your job and your everyday life. Every day we face situations that tries to take us down. This world wants to push us down. Satan wants to divide us and conquer us. He wants to make us think that he's bigger than he really is. When I think of Satan all the time, the words that always come to me is fear. False evidence appearing real. That means he tries to be bigger than he really is. He tries to act more powerful than he really is. Here's David, a little boy, coming to face Goliath, and he hits him in the head with that stone, knocks him out, and was able to go and finish the job. A little boy beat this nine-foot-tall giant. Sometimes we make our giants bigger than they really are. I'm dating myself, but I remember Tom and Jerry. Boy. That goes way back, doesn't it? Tom and Jerry, they used to be this I was cat and mouse, and they would chase each other around. Well, the cat would chase the mouse around and try to capture him. But Jerry was always the smart one. And I still remember this time where Jerry has come around the corner, and he actually was using his flashlight and was shining this big shadow like he was really bigger than he really was. So here comes Tom thinking, whoa, this, this giant mouse or this giant rat, this giant object was coming at me. And he goes and takes off running. And then here comes Jerry around the corner, little tiny mouse. That's all Satan is. He's much smaller than he really is. He has no power over a child of God. God has given us God has given us the power to overcome every obstacle in our life. God didn't make us and then said, "Okay, you're on your own." He created us to be in unison with Him. God's saying, all you have to do is have a relationship with me and trust me and have faith in me, and I will take care of your problems. The battle belongs to me. We've got to stop fighting these battles on our own and let God fight them, no matter what it is. The first thought in the morning, the last worry of your night, your Goliath, your giant dominates your day and infiltrates your joy. Think about this. Your giant comes in bills you can't pay. 
people that you can't please. How many of you guys feel like sometimes you've got to please somebody and you can't always do it? You feel like you let yourself down. You let that person down. Or temptations that you can't resist. Or the past you can't shake. Or a future that you can't face. But we have a God who is more than able to do it. Amen? Think about this. No one in the Bible, when you're leading up to this, to face the Goliath, on the Israel side ever And then when David comes there, all he does is discuss who God is. That was the difference. Whole army of Israel against Goliath, or David with God against Goliath. So I put in this next thing. Are we God-focused, or are we giant-focused? Do we focus on our problems bigger than what God can do? You know, there's a, there's a saying that we need to think of the things that God does four times more than we think of what our problems are. When we always look at our problems, we can say, okay, I have, I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill, I don't make enough money, all these different obstacles that seem to come in our way, and all we do is focus on that, and all we need to know that God says, give, and it will be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, that I will supply all your needs according to my riches and glory. David sees what others don't and refuses to see what others do. We need to start refusing to see what other people see and start seeing how God is going to get us through this problem. Amen? How God is going to help us overcome this giant. Oh, David did see the giant, but he sees God much more. So when we're looking at our problems, we need to see how God can work this problem out. I can't tell you how many times I've faced situations that seem impossible. And so many of you guys have heard some of the stories. How many times I've faced problems that seem impossible, and all I have to do is say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to get up in the morning, and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. It can't get done. I'm going to trust you, God. I don't know how it's going to happen. God, I'm going to trust you. This problem seems insurmountable. God, I'm going to trust you. No matter what happens, I'm going to trust you, God. David knows how to get ahead of the giant. Think about this. I'm going to go describe David a little more. Here's this tiny little guy, kind of like this, probably the size of my grandfather went in the military. 18 years old, probably doesn't weigh more than a buck 20, a buck 30. I have not, haven't seen those numbers in a long time, I'll tell you that. Many, many, many years ago. And here he is, this small guy, and he's sitting there, sitting in the field with his flock of sheep, and all he's doing is worshiping God during that time. He's just focusing on all the goodness of God, all the good things that God can do. And next thing you know, what, you're, can, can you imagine him playing his harp, soothing the sheep, and all of a sudden this bear comes snarling up, and he has to quickly go into action. If he doesn't act right away, he's going to be overtaken by that bear, overtaken by that lion. And here's David having to come from one moment of trusting God and just soothing the sheep to now i got to fight this battle that belongs to the Lord. And he ran towards his giant. He ran towards his problem. He didn't run away from it. He didn't hide from his problem. He ran to it because he knew God was on his side. When is the last time that we've done the same? How long has it been since you've ran towards your challenge? 
I like challenges because I know that God is able to get me through it. I mean, what a wonderful thing to say to your kids, your son or daughter, to people around you at work that I've been able to go face my problems and God got me through that. Instead of turning away and hiding and allowing our problems to keep overtaking us, what happens if we run from our problems or paying our bills? We get in a bigger problem, hey? How many times have you been there and you look at your bills as they're insurmountable and you're like, man, I'll just tell you what, I'll just ignore them for this month. They get bigger, don't they? So it's better for us to face our situations with God than to run from them. You think about this, there's giants of divorce. You can claim this to this, these situations, you're not entering my house. Because you have God on your side. Giants of depression, you won't conquer me. Giants of alcohol, giants of addiction, giants of child abuse, giants of insecurities, you're not going, you're going down right now. You're leaving my house today. There's times that Satan wants to continue to divide us as a body of Christ and we are separated. God wants to do everything to make you beat you down or, or to lift you up while Satan wants to beat you down. When I think of Satan, he's a guy who is already in a losing battle. You ever met someone like that? I played basketball at some of the parks around here. And you're beating somebody, they start throwing the ball across the basketball court. They want, want you to chase it. Some of you guys might not have seen that before, but some of you guys have played hoops. Guy gets a bad attitude because you've starting to score too many points on them. They throw the basketball and, like a poor sport and makes you go chase it. Well, that's kind of how Satan is. He's a bad sport. Here he was in heaven. He thought he was so great that God cast him out of heaven. And now he lost the battle and now he's trying to take somebody with him. He's trying to be a bad sport. See who else I can influence for negative things. And God's saying, listen, all I have for you is love and protection and guidance. And he wants to give you a life that you never knew you could have. Let's look at Acts chapter 13, verse 22. Solution here. So what are we going to do to face our giants in our life? It says, I've searched the land and found this David, son of Jesse. He's a man whose heart to my heart, a man who will do what I tell him. And I even read, looked at another verse in the NLT, it says, he will do everything that I want him to do. Are we willing to do everything that God wants? Are we willing to do everything that God wants us to do? Do you know sometimes God's going to put you in a place that you're uncomfortable with? Because he knows that you can do it because he's by your side. You know, the Word of God says that we're never alone no matter what we go through in life. That God is always there with us. That he will never leave us. He will never forsake us, even to the ends of the earth. Well, that's the promise of God. Those are us focusing on the goodness of God. Amen? All the good things that God brings in our life. God will never leave us or God will never forsake us. Giants we must face. We will always face them, but we just don't face them alone. 
focus first and most on God. When I'm going through a situation, and some of you guys have heard about the different venues even years ago, even with the, the city here at, at the church, but also the daycare when it's gone through its ups and downs, the things with our family challenges that goes on. Every time I get stressed about something, I hear the Holy Spirit say, focus on me. Focus on God. And you know what happens? There's a peace that passes all understanding that it's not you that's doing anything. You know, I don't have to do anything for God to want to help me. All I have to do is love Him and trust Him. God loves me just the way I am right now. God loves you just the way you are right now. You don't have to do another thing for God to love you that much. But He wants us to focus just on Him. If we focus on God, we don't see our problems. Every time we wake up in the morning and we think about, man, how am I going to get this done? How am I going to solve this problem? And we're worrying and worrying and worrying. Next, you know, that overtakes you. I always call worrying like this hamster wheel. You get on it and you just can't get off. You keep worrying about it and worrying about it and worrying about it and worrying about it. And you just keep going around and around and around and around. And you feel like you can never get off that cycle. That's when we have to say, stop. I'm going to run towards my giant. I'm going to trust God. God is more than able to help me in every situation. The times that David focused on God first, his giants fell. In the days he didn't, David fell. Think about that. Our whole life is tied into making sure that we put our trust in God, not in ourselves. How many times do you let someone down? I have, because I am going to fail. But we know that God never fails. Amen? He's the same yesterday as he was with David. He's the same today. He'll be the same in the future. Amen? Well, there's three things we must do if we want to really have that ability like David did to focus in and conquer our giants. And I'm going to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The world is unprincipled. It's a dog-eat-dog out there, world out there. The world doesn't fight fair. But we don't live or fight our battles that way. Never have and never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation. But they are for demolishing that entire massively corrupt culture. We are to use God tools for smashing warped philosophies. Tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God. Fitting every loose thought and every emotion and impulse into the structure of a life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for the clearing the ground of every obstruction and building our lives of obedience into maturity. So number one I want to focus on is smash warped philosophies. You guys know how many new philosophies are coming out on a regular basis? You can just look at YouTube and they have a new idea on how we're supposed to do something. And really, God's Word stands the test of time. We can see the new philosophy, but we're going to miss on what God is trying to do in our lives. Why do I need to come up with something new when God has already created us the way we're supposed to be, and He knows what we need, and He'll take care of us. So in other words, we need to smash or break false teachings. People that say that God is doing this to you to teach you a lesson. False teaching. 
God doesn't do any harm to you to teach you a lesson. The world has enough of those lessons they're trying to teach you. God's not going to do it. The Word of God says that Jesus came to bring life and life more abundantly. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, Jesus can't be anything like Satan, and Satan can't be anything like Jesus. So I know that anything good in my life is of God. Everything bad is of the devil. So I'm going to smash all those warped philosophies, those false teachings. Well, you think about something that's warped, it's twisted. See, Satan knows the word. He'll take a little part of the word and twist it. He will twist it so it doesn't have the same effect and the same power. I'll give you one example. Money is the root of all evil. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. See how you can change that one little word that makes a big difference? Money is just a tool, just like a car is a tool. God wants to use it for your good. But when you love something more than you love God, then it becomes a problem. So when something's twisted or the philosophies are wrong and they try to deflect them away from the Word of God, that's what we have to smash, those type of teachings that try to be contrary to what the Word of God is saying. That's what David was saying. Here's the Israel nation never talking about God, yet David walks in there and talks only about God. Smash those warped philosophies that we can't go face our giants and conquer them. Number two, tear down barriers erected against the truth of God. You know, sometimes we put walls up and they don't allow we God's need to destroy to these walls. I'll give you an example. Unwanted feelings. Feeling that we're not wanted. That is a barrier that's built up in us and that stops us from really hearing for who God is in our lives. Or walls that keep distance between us and other people. How many times do we separate ourselves away from everybody else when we're getting depressed and down? That's not what God wants from us. God wants us to tell somebody, hey, I'm going through this today. And we're supposed to love on them and say, hey, we want to help you through this and not judge you. So when we have walls that keep distance between us and other people, we lose that childlike trust in other people because we feel like no one cares about us. The walls of who we really are. Well, we're a child of God. And we should not ever forget that. That God is a God who loves us and who will take care of us as his child. Amen? Walls that keep us from growing spiritually. I just want you to know today is that you are loved with an unending love from God. God has loved us from the very beginning. He had plans for you. The Word of God says He had plans for you at the start of this worth the start of this world, that he had plans for you to prosper and succeed in what you're going to do in this life. And the last one, number three, fit every loose thought and be shaped by Christ. I'm going to go a little further. Fit every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structured of life shaped by Christ. If you've captured someone's thoughts you've captured that person's power. Think about that. I've played many sports, and the, last, the thing you want to do is try to get in their head to try to defeat them. Satan wants to get into your head saying that you can't do this, that you are not successful. This is what you're destined to be, poor, broke, sick, bad relationships. I always pick the wrong person. That's what Satan's trying to tell us. That's not true. When God's on our side, we can face those giants together, and God 
says the battle belongs to him. Amen? It's not our battle anymore. I'll give you a couple of success stories as we're getting, coming in closing. Bill Gates, college drop, dropout. Think about all that he's done with his computer systems to make education so much better than it ever has been. He's worth over $100 billion. $100 billion. He dropped out of college to be able to do his software company. Michael Jordan didn't even qualify for his high school basketball team. Can you imagine that? What that high school would have been like if they would have had Michael Jordan on it? His brother had more talent, supposedly, which we never even heard of. He didn't qualify, and he went on to be, some will deny this, but I say he's the greatest basketball player. He was part of my era, so I, you know, I really like Michael Jordan. Some people like LeBron James. It's still an argument with our cook at work. LeBron James, Kobe Bryant. I'd say Michael Jordan. is. Michael Jordan actually wasn't, I call it, he wasn't a sissy. Nowadays, everybody calls a foul on everything. Every time you play basketball, they call a foul about everything. You basically breathe on someone the wrong way, they call a foul. Michael Jordan would get slapped on the hand. When I played basketball, the hand was part of the ball, so they could slap you on the hand. Nowadays, you even, like I say, you even blow at them. They're like, whoa, foul, because they missed the basket. That's why they're calling a foul. I always say, listen, stop making excuses. Go in there and play tough. You know, if you're not bleeding from the nose, then you ain't playing hard enough. So here's Michael Jordan playing at that height of his career. And so we'll even show a couple of the videos, Kobe Bryant slash Michael Jordan, and they show the dumb trying to do the same moves. Michael Jordan will go up for the basket for he's going to do a slam, and two guys crashing the boards to stop him. He tucks it underneath to the left hand and slams it behind him. Kobe Bryant goes to drive to do the same shot. Everybody clears out of the boards. There's no one there blocking him, and he slams it in there. Okay, I'll probably get in trouble for that one later, but... But anyways, that's my feeling about Michael Jordan, my little soapbox here since I got that moment here. But Michael Jordan was the greatest basketball player but didn't make the high school team. Missy, you can come on up. Let's go to somebody that everybody knows. He grew up very poor. He had his first job by the time he was was nine years old because they had no money in their family. But he had a dream. He never got past an eighth-grade education. It's amazing. He never had any formal art training. But he had a dream that he was going to make something big. And he focused on that. And he never ran from it. He didn't say, hey, I got all these problems, all these situations in life. No, he kept going forward and facing his giants, facing his obstacles to overcome them in life. He never gave up. He worked hard and faced his giants. He had an unwavering belief in his dreams. I have an unwavering belief in God. You know, the company's worth $100 billion, $130 billion right now? So a guy who couldn't even, hardly even live and survive? Let's go back to David. David, smallest of all his brothers, but ready to take on Goliath. He had an unwavering belief that God can do what God says he will do. Amen? David ran up and chased his giant and conquered him. I'm telling you guys this today because I want to see you guys facing your giants in life. I don't want to see anybody stay the same way that they came. I mean, God loves you so much, He loves you just the way you are, but He also loves you so much that He wants to raise you up to higher levels in life. He wants you not to run scared. He wants you to run towards your giant 
because the battle belongs to the Lord. Amen? Let's all stand. Focus on giants, you stumble. Focus on God, your giants stumble. Amen? Heavenly Father, I come before you this morning. And I love you so much. God, I thank you that you've never given me the spirit of fear. That you gave me the spirit of a sound mind. That I can trust and have faith in you. No matter what situation I'm facing. No matter what challenge that tries to put me back. God, I know that I am a righteous person. And when a righteous person falls, he will arise. That God, you will help pick us up. And that every giant that we face, you're right there beside us, helping us along the way. That we can put our trust and our faith in you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want us to take a moment and if you've ever faced a, a giant and you ran from it, God wants you to now have the strength to face your giants. David, a little boy, was able to face a nine-foot-tall man that was well-seasoned fighter, and he didn't run from his giant, he ran towards it. If you're saying, Pastor, there's sometimes I've ran from my giants because I've been afraid. I'm not, I don't want to face some of the situations, some of the realities of life. But God says, you don't have to face it alone. You can face it with me. Just with a sign of your hand, I want you to say, today, I'm going to start facing my giants. And I'm going to face them with God. Starting today, I'm going to face my giants with God. Just raise your hand and say, God, I'm on your side right now. The battle belongs to you this morning. Heavenly Father, I come before you with a mind ready to receive from you and a heart wide open to receive your word. And I ask right now, God, that you, you let me know through your word how I can put my trust in you. God, I want to remember all the good things, all the blessings that you have for me four times as much as I want to see that complaint or that problem that's in my life. God, I want to put my trust in you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, we all said, Amen. Who am I that you are mindful of me? That you hear me when I call? Is it true that you are thinking of me? How do you love me? Oh, it's amazing. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. 